Whether you know it or not, chances are you've come across the work of the Gin Lane team. This is the story of Harry's. At Smile Direct Club, we believe everyone deserves a smile they'll love. From brands they've taken to market. Harry's, Hims, hers. Brands they've worked with at an early stage. You know, Smile Direct Club, Sweetgreen, Quip. As well as the industry leaders. Warby Parker, Bonobos, and Everlane as well. It's a business that was at the top of its game. So much so that Fortune 100 companies were seeking them out. This is Emmett Shine, co-founder of Gin Lane. We've helped launch, not just grow, over 50 businesses over the past decade that are now worth collectively $15 billion. But just when Gin Lane had seemingly reached the top, they did something unexpected. They shut down the business in search of a new challenge. But we'll get to that in a bit. My name is Ash Reed. I'm Editorial Director for Buffer, and our mission is to help you build your brand and connect with your customers online. This is our new podcast, Breaking Brand. In this new Buffer original series, we're exploring and bringing to light strategies and secrets from brands at the top of their game. We're sharing insight into innovative thinking and ideas from those at the forefront of their industries. And to get us started, over the next five episodes, we'll tell you about the journey of one truly groundbreaking company, the New York City-based agency, Gin Lane. Haven't heard of them? Well, Gin Lane is basically known as the Rolls-Royce of branding agencies within the ecosystem of direct-to-consumer brands, even non-direct-to-consumer brands that are looking to elevate their brand equity and brand status within the marketplace. That's Nick Sharma, a New York City-based direct-to-consumer consultant and strategist for brands. And in case you're new to the branding business, brand equity refers to how the customer sees the overall brand as opposed to just the product. It's their perception of the brand that influences their desire to buy the products associated with that brand. Yeah, I mean, Gin Lane is the highest level of a branding agency you can get. It's, it's honestly a dream for entrepreneurs to be able to work with Gin Lane just because anything they do makes such a big impact. Like I've seen brands that go in with mere ideas or even brands that aren't necessarily insanely innovative, but you know, they get to Gin Lane and they just become these, they become brands rather than products, brands that consumers want to get behind. When a company becomes as successful as Gin Lane, you may wonder, how did they make it happen? What were their secrets to that success? I think it's a few things. One, I, I would be honest and I would say it's luck. I like the phrase, you know, luck is just kind of showing up at the right place over and over until lightning strikes. And I think what the right place is, was trying to choose founders and entrepreneurs that understood what we brought to the table. And then I think on the skill set side, we've always pushed ourselves to, to listen to the audience we're working with and just go out and say, what do you want? What do you want to see? What do you want to feel? What would be cool? What would be interesting? For Jin Lane, thorough understanding of their clients' target customers was integral to their success. Emmett also sees their artistic approach as something that made the agency stand out. Having a background in fine art, but also not being precious about it, is a good combination. So I think we're, we're always trying to show our work to peers and contemporaries that maybe are not in the advertising world. They're in you know, editorial, they're in fine art, and, and for them to respect the, the typography, the photography, the web design, the clean, simple minimalness of an interface, you know, just having a lot of craftsmanship pride in our products and 
the work we do so it doesn't just feel like advertising. It feels like a conversation. Like most companies, Emmett started small. He built Ginlane up bit by bit, and it evolved pretty organically. I went to NYU for photography in the early 2000s and, you know, bought a computer, learned a lot of digital stuff and taught myself design, web skills, graphic application, photo post-production and started freelancing to make money in college and started doing that with friends that I'd met. And by senior year, we were doing it so much that we went to do that full time. And really the story with... So actually, the Gin Lane name name was inspired by a relatively well-known street in Southampton, New York. You know, well-known street and... I wanted to, you know... It came about when Emmett and his colleagues were having trouble getting paid. So he rebranded from a freelancer to an agency and incorporated in order to get his clients to take him more seriously. And that worked, and so, you know, we had to actually incorporate and set up a bank account to cast checks. And, you know, after a few years of doing that, we decided to really make a go of it as an agency, and we knew a lot of the creative set from downtown New York. I think we've always gravitated towards good, talented people and, you know, soon got picked up. And Stella McCartney, Adidas, Theory, Helmut Lang, uh, that kind of fashion set uh, we got introduced to. In my conversation with Emmett, a lot of interesting points struck me about his story. Very early on, it was clear that he was thoughtful about the state of his industry and where it was headed. He knew how to spot gaps in the market, and he used that to his and Jin Lane's advantage. At the time, for digital, there wasn't a lot of design theory on creating interfaces and logic that were sophisticated but didn't overpower the content. With that unique approach, word spread quickly that they were doing something new and fresh and interesting. So from that, we got introduced to the people in New York City that were working in the space, and one of those teams was Partners in Spade, who we met through a project we both did for AOL and then J. Crew. And they said, hey, you guys are pretty smart and young and get this stuff. You know, you should come meet some of these people we're speaking to. I think you would see the world similarly. And that was um, Warby Parker, Bonobos, and Everlane all at the same time really getting started. Emmett says these brands and founders, they weren't just clients. They were people who saw the world in the same ways and were focused on a new, digital-first approach to business. They were maybe more business-centric and we were maybe more on the creative output side. But that was really our first foray with what would become kind of this community in New York City of digitally native startups. At what stage did you kind of realize you needed to bring on someone to help out with Gin Lane? Yeah, I mean, basically it syncs up with us deep diving into the startup ecosystem. I just saw the fountain of youth for business creativity. It was just an incredible, incredible opportunity. The entrepreneurship, the innovation, it's just, I don't know, once in a generation. The challenge with startups is that they don't always have as much funding or cash on hand. It has to move very fast. It's very high risk. It's not guaranteed that they'll even make it out of you know, uh, their early stage period. And as soon as we really started to double down on that, I realized I was becoming over my head, trying to oversee all the creative as well as really lead the business. Enter Jin Lane's future CEO. So my name's Nicholas Gleng. Originally from London, where he worked at Boston Consulting Group. He also spent time in Columbia supporting two startups there. He's got a degree in physics and earned an MBA from Harvard Business School. And then he moved to New York eight years ago. Here's Nick. You know, if you were to trope us, right, I'm the, the business guy and Emmett's the creative guy, but I think there's a lot more commonalities rather than differences between us in where we've come from and where we're going together. Some of the strongest business leaders I know or have studied 
really lean into their weaknesses. There's a strength in knowing what you're not good at and hiring accordingly. I need someone that could see the vision, see the opportunity we have. Um, we're an underdog, we're a small self-funded business. And now, if you ask Emmett, we have pound for pound, I think one of the best creative teams in, you know, in the city, if not America, per the specific area. And we have vision, you know, we want to do something um, different. I very vividly remember my first conversations with Emmett and even the experience in going to the office was markedly different than things that I'd experienced before in my career. The Jin Lane office was embedded in the chaos of New York City's Chinatown, and it was actually physically difficult to locate for Nick. I eventually found the sign which was telling what Jin Lane was in both Chinese and in English. And, you know, compared to like my first day at post-Oxford at work, where you can imagine you're in a nice part of London going to work in a suit, it was like a complete cultural change of how to approach work and how to approach life just arriving at the office. Yeah, we had just moved into our current office. We're in Chinatown, um, like the lower, lower east side. <laughs> I, I, we'd taken out um, a pretty good loan to get, you know, this big space. It was super raw, barbed wire fences and um, like bricks, you know. <laughs> it's, it's like, And so Nick came by and I was like, all right, let's just meet outside. And so we uh, sat down on the, the patio, um, you know, which again looked like, I don't know, a backyard from Breaking Bad or something at the time. And that's where we sat down to have our first conversation with one of his trusted advisors who continues to work with us today, Dan Kenga, who's worked at Gin Lane with Emmett for 10 years on the creative side. Not long after Nick joined the team, Gin Lane had started transforming from where it was, a business within Emmett's network and friends, to becoming a force in the industry, creating influential brands and seeing incredible demand for its services from a diverse set of people and companies. And when you have those type of opportunities, you can both go after things, but you can also deal with like unexpected consequences from really small, simple things like how you structure a contract to how you start to manage a relationship with someone who's not your friend, but is a client. And those were the type of challenges that Emmett was facing that he just didn't have the muscle memory to know how to figure out. And a lot of that conversation was kind of bifurcated from me just giving him actionable advice of how to manage when people paid him, how to like plan his forecasts all the way to what was our collective vision for what this company could be and what we might be able to create together. And, you know, he's just a smart guy and asks lots of questions and I try my best to answer it. And he would pause after every answer for about 15 to 20 seconds and think about it. But I could just see his like, you know, the metaphorical wheels turning. And I think he saw that there was something... Um, non-linear and interesting that I knew was there, but again, my skill set couldn't figure out what necessarily it could or should be. I think I read in an interview, you mentioned that a lot of founders come to you with a deck and then they leave with a brand. Like, how do you take that deck, which is you know, maybe a little bit investor-focused and turn it into something that consumers care about? So Gin Lane broadly was structured in two teams, right? One team which was focused on the core brand, the foundations, and another team which we called Experience that actualized those across all the different touch points that consumers would interact with the brand. And the first job we would have to do would be to move from the what and the how to the why. So 
typically a lot of people come and say, I'm building a brand to disrupt X. And sure, investors can like that type of story and look at the margins and the growth profile, but consumers don't really care about that. What they care about is why does this matter in my life? And what we would find is the founders often have that within them, but they didn't have the way to codify how to express that to a mass market audience across a whole ecosystem. And so these first eight, 12 weeks, which Camille, who you'll talk to later, used to lead at Ginlane, were all about getting to that foundational why of why this business should exist and then codifying how we would strategically position that, who the customer was, and how that would express across anything the customer would touch, from the product, to the website, to social, to ads, to a retail storefront. And the art is to get that consistency defined to its full depths, and then implement it fully consistently across every place that the consumer touches and feels that brand. It was a little bit longer of a process. It was typically about 16 weeks. That's Camille Baldwin. She started out at Gin Lane as an intern and quickly became the company's director of brand development, helping to elevate Gin Lane's branding work and position them as market leaders. Uh, she really brought a framework to our organization on how to build a brand in a way that can translate right away, but it has logic and foundation to it. We always say like Camille's like, you know, the queen of pyramids. And so everything with her is like, you know, for example, your technical benefits, your functional benefits and your emotional benefits. The technical ones are what underpins a positioning or a brand and the functional ones are what it offers up and what it does. And emotional is how it makes you feel. Naturally, I asked Camille for as many of Gin Lane's branding playbook secrets as I could. With that brand hypothesis, what did that actually look like? Was it a deck? Was it a couple of taglines or...? Yeah, it was a deck. We call it key insights and takeaways. She was incredibly forthcoming about their process. I didn't have to work that hard. It was in the form of lots of different insights that we had and basically like recommendations and, and hypotheses based on those. So if, you know, you're speaking to millennial women about healthcare. And it's a really taboo topic. We think you should, you know, talk about it in this way, in this form, because that will connect best with people. So after the hypothesis, which phase would you move on to in the process? So that was the definition phase where I think of that still as a strategy-led phase, really thinking about now laying principles down of the core DNA of a brand. So figuring out, okay, based on where we think we can take this and now we've aligned with the founders, let's actually put a core framework together that we can basically use as our compass and our guide from there on out for everything from not just creative decisions, but even business decisions as well, making sure it's a, a nice filtering mechanism for all things that have to run through this identity. So uh, we had a framework called a brand pyramid that was essentially the output that we were trying to get to in that time. Brand pyramids have been around since the late 90s, but still play a key role in brand strategy. Here's how Jin Lane would approach building pyramids. Yeah, so it's it's based on essentially benefits to the consumer. So figuring out, you know, how on the three levels that I mentioned earlier, emotional, functionally, technically, 
how is this brand benefiting the consumers? Because we want to know the base of the pyramid. What is this business? How does it make money? What is it offering to people? What are the products? What are the services? And what's really unique about them? But then how can we layer on top of that the emotional story that we can tell about them within the realm of what those things allow? And so we would filter that into the pyramid, which is essentially at the top, the kind of spirit of the brand, the essence, the core emotional call to action that we were trying to get people to do, and then values the company's you know, core unique principles and ideals. What can this company offer consumers and promise to them that they are going to get every time that they interact with this company? And then lastly, pillars is what is sort of unique to this company in terms of how they get this all done. Now, most companies have theories and strategies that are all essentially quite similar. So I wanted to know, what makes Gin Lane stand out? They've had such great success in brand building. What makes Gin Lane special? Yeah, I think a couple of things. I think definitely having this process as a well-oiled machine, which took a little while to get to. It, it took some wind tunneling over the years. Um, but we once we kind of got it down pat at a base level, and then we, we were always iterating on it, but... It was something that we always were very bullish on people going through. You know, every client is different and every client tries to push on, well, we're launching to market. We're a startup. We don't have a lot of time. We don't need to go through this. And we were always, always bullish on respecting the process and making sure that at the very least we did a, a strategy phase to understand where the compass needed to point for this business. The through line from my conversations with the Gin Lane team was that they really prioritized people over everything else. We as a team always were really disciplined about picking the clients that we worked with based on the founding team, and the that would be first, and then the business itself second. So it was always, do we believe in these people and their mission, and can we partner with them and really have honest conversations? Uh, because I think this type of work is quite different than, say, that and in advertising agency, when you're just working on a commercial or you're you're working on a single creative output, this is the identity of the brand. And so you really need to make sure that you can have these tough conversations with founders, sometimes based on things that they're doing themselves. Um, so I think sort of bet on the jockey, not the horse was always our philosophy, which really gave us insight into many industries across a similar consumer set. So some agencies will focus on one thing in particular that they do really well from a business standpoint. Like there's agencies that do all CPG brands and packaging for that. And we weren't really interested in the reps of that type of thing. We were interested in the people. And that gave us insight into all of these different businesses, which allows for pattern recognition which makes for some pretty powerful insights about culture and the consumer. How do you like get to the root of that message and kind of help people to figure out what their brand is actually about? Because I guess it's quite introspective and, and a hard place to get to for some brands. It is. It is. It's um, Emmett, our founder, always joked that it was it was like going through therapy in that in the discovery phase, a lot of the questions we were asking founders, there were certainly, you know, traditional market and business and positioning questions, but we would really try to get deep with the founders and dig into who they were 
or who they are and what their motivations are as, as people on this earth? Is it that you have found a business opportunity in a market and that's what you're attracted to? And if so, that's okay. But that's going to sort of steer the rudder of your ship a little bit differently than if you were, you know, a passionate consumer in this space yourself and are trying to solve a, a pain point that you yourself experienced. And so it's hard to get to those things. So you kind of have to ask the same types of questions again and again in different ways to get at what's the real root. I think of it like if you've ever taken a Myers-Briggs test and you're asked all these questions, you're like, didn't I just answer that? Is this the same thing? It's, it probably feels quite similar, but we're really trying to get at the emotional core of these people. Can you think of any specific times where maybe you were speaking to founders and hit a sticking point and you didn't feel like you were getting anywhere? How would you reframe a message or ask a question in a different way? I can't think of the specific questions necessarily, but would always try to take, you know, Socratic method of going very open-ended questions instead of pointing them in a direction and you know, how do you feel about this or how does this happen? Tell me about this. What what does this look like? And let them lead you down a path. But then you have to kind of hard stop and be a mirror for them, at least based on what you're hearing and, and kind of say, OK, well, I'm hearing this. Is that accurate? And then they kind of say yes or no. And so you continue going, OK, well, if that's not what you're saying, is it this instead? And so it's a very intricate path that you have to sort of weave with them. Well, for Gin Lane, their method and strategy clearly worked. The clients just kept on coming. They became a company who chose the clients they worked with, not the other way around. But not long after reaching those heights, things took a turn. We had a moment where we won two big projects, which were the biggest ones that Gin Lane had ever won. It felt like, yeah, but we're really working our tails off and aren't really enjoying things or pursuing the curiosity that we have innate in us. And that wasn't at the forefront of who we were or what we were doing at the time. It felt like a bit of a hamster wheel where you're running after something and it's hard to catch it and it's, it becomes impossible to catch it. We got so burnt out, you know, it ended up not being really what we wanted. What they did next tested the abilities of Emmett, Nick, and Camille to lead in their industry, as well as internally at their company, and led to a complete 180-degree flip for Gin Lane. Tune in to episode two to hear what came next for the Gin Lane team and their company. Thanks for listening to Breaking Brand, a podcast by Buffer. Buffer helps brands to break through on social. Check out buffer.com to learn more.